Hello, America, and welcome to CEO Show. We're here today with Denise Dupre. How are you, Denise? I'm doing wonderfully. Thanks, Robert. And Denise is the founder and managing partner of Champagne Hospitality. So let's start off. Later on, we're going to talk about your deep background as an educator and why you shifted. But talk about basically what Champagne Hospitality is. So we are a design and development hotel company, and we take projects from the ground all the way through build, all the way through operate, and then ongoing experiences for our guests. We happen to also have a part of our portfolio that is wine-focused. So in both the Champagne and Burgundy regions of France, we also operate vineyards, which are a wonderful synergy and great set of experiences for our guests. Talk about some of the specific properties, because these are on the very high luxury end of the spectrum. We have um, a property in the French West Indies, and you'll see a French theme here, um, which is on the island of St. Bart's. And it's one of the newer properties there. Very exciting. And we also run a villa rental company, Le Barth Villa Rental Company, on the island of St. Bart's. In France, we currently have uh, a project completed in Champagne, which we opened in 2018, right smack in the middle of the vineyards um, called the Royal Champagne. We also have a combination retail terrace and small property on the Avenue de Champagne, which is quite prestigious in the area because some five or 600,000 people visit the Avenue de Champagne every year. We have under development, so we're growing, a property in Burgundy in the small town of Pomard. You probably have heard of that wine. And it will be up and running in 2024. And on the future books, we have a property in Paris on the left bank, uh, which is in the seventh arrondissement for those who know Paris, that we are going to renovate after the Paris Olympics. So a lot on the future books that we're very excited about and also some potential future expansion in St. Bart's as well. You have really exciting properties and you tie in all of your businesses together in a sense what is it people are looking for in luxury and in travel? You see right now, it's almost like everyone just wants to travel. What are CEOs, do you think, looking for now? You probably deal with a lot of CEOs in your property as well. I think there's a couple themes um, that have been consistent for a long time. And those I would describe as authenticity. People like to be of the place and feel like they're in the place when they visit. So I think responding to what the local culture look, looks like and, and how you give guests a true feel. I think post-COVID, there's an exclamation point on that because I think the notion of real experience, authentic experience, connecting with people who live, work in a region, and also to understand better uh, foreign cultures or or places where you're visiting. So I, I think luxury doesn't have to be fancy. In fact, if anything, I think the best luxury is comfortable. It's like your favorite pair of jeans. That's an interesting line. The best luxury is comfortable. Tell me an example of, of a customer experience 
that really wowed you, where you said, you know, this customer, they wanted this, and here's what they had. And this is what we did that really made this exceptional for them. I think it starts with great listening. We try to train our people to truly listen for what a guest might need. Let me give you some specific examples. If someone said, I miss my kids, or my shoulder hurts, or tomorrow's my daughter's first birthday. Those might just sound like, you know, interesting conversations. I'll give you some examples of what we did with those. When someone said, I miss my kids, and we have typically arranged in all of our hotel properties for people to have a guest experience manager that's connected to them while they're there, that person said, oh, learned their ages, and that night delivered to their room were gifts for all of those kids that weren't with the parents on that trip that they could take home. They were wowed. The person who said, my shoulder hurts, you know, normally enough is to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I could do for you? That actually happened on the beach um, in a lounge chair. Our person who was working the beach communicated to our concierge team and said, I need you to go to the pharmacy get some muscle cream, and we're going to deliver it to that person. He wrote a personal note, got it to their room. And when he arrived that night, he was just wowed. Like, I, all I said was my shoulder hurts. And for first daughter of birthday, that's something that comes really naturally to hotel companies that are, you know, loving to share and celebrate special occasions, whether it's anniversaries, birthdays, and you can only begin to imagine the great things that the team put together, some typical and some understanding what that young um, girl really was, was interested in based on her week so far at the hotel. So those are some specific examples but I think the important thing is get your team to listen and then turn it into action. But also you got to really empower them to be able to know that they're allowed to, encouraged to, and empowered to. So how do you train them to do that? Is it through hiring where you look for something special? Is it during the onboarding? Is it day to day where you, where you guide them? What's the behind the scenes, Denise? Those are just great stories. I, I, I love those stories. That's, that's what life is about. And that's what CEOs want to hear. But how do you really make that happen? It's easy to say, get them to listen. But how do you really do it? Well, first, it's hard. Let's be clear about that. You know, finding great people takes a lot of work. But I'd say it starts at the very beginning in interacting with someone, even in an interview. Robert, you smile at me in the first five seconds of this interview. I look for people on my teams that do that too. They're comfortable interacting with others. There's a certain joy that they bring to their work. And so you look for personality and joy. Like, can this person really take joy from being part of our team and giving guests experiences? So that's part of it. I think some of it is we, I have a bias personally for hiring. I'm okay if you don't have the experience, if you have the ambition, and if you have the smarts. So I think there's a personality fit. I'm willing to hire younger, promote sooner, and let people make more mistakes. If you're younger in your career, you make more mistakes. We get our teams really comfortable with that. Is there any specific question that you, you might ask someone in an interview? Like a CEO once said me, what I always ask them is, what was the biggest 
challenge you had and what did you what did you learn from that? But is there any one question that you ask where you could sort of sense this person has the champagne hospitality personality? I find rich information in understanding people's family and how they talk about family experience. So if you say to them, you know, tell me, tell me a family experience that really made you happy. You'll get a sense of whether it's a dinner party or a grandmother's birthday or a special event and just how much they were enveloped by that experience and how much joy it brought them. And I think that gets to the first point, which is finding the right personality fit. One question before the break. What is the secret to running a great winery? It's got to taste great. That's, that's for sure. And that comes back to the winemaker, which we can discuss further because that's another place where we've invested a lot in really thinking about who could make this wine special. And everyone listening in, and we've about 600,000 listeners, here are some messages to you. If you want to bring great people into your company, you want to find what makes them happy. Ask them, what was a family experience that really brought you joy? because there's so much you could learn there. Now, if you are a CEO, what you need to do is notice one critical thing, which you could learn from Denise from the winemaking business. What is your harvest moment? The moment, the week where everyone in the team needs to be galvanized together to get the results that you want. And finally, never limit your options. Be willing to take a risk. And you know what? We're about to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to find out about that. Back in a few. Hi, this is Robert Reese on The CEO Show, where we interview the CEOs who've reinvented the fabric of enterprise, and we're here today with Denise Dupre, who is the founder and managing partner of Champagne Hospitality. We've heard all about this. We've heard that you need to go, you need to really listen in to the little nuances that customers may say so you could proactively deliver what they want. And we heard some some great stories on that, even one-year-old birthdays and a shoulder pain and whatever it is. That's what you that's what you listen for. But now we're shifting over from hotels into into your wineries. What's the secret? You started to tell us about the winemaker. Maybe I'll use a specific example from a winemaker in Champagne. He is part scientist, part artist, in some ways incredibly mystical, but in some ways incredibly grounded. And he takes a very biodynamic approach to making our wines, which I think is very much part of our success story. It really plays nicely into our whole focus on sustainability and really caring about our communities and and the climate. And we can come back to that. But if you have a winemaker who is incredibly passionate and knows what they're doing, it, it happens our winemaker has rich history, very grounded in biodynamic approach. It happens our, our champagne house, Le Clerc Briand, is one of the oldest biodynamic um, champagnes as it was not on trend when the crazy winemaker who um, started it before we were involved decided to do that. Part of it is how you take care of your fields, your grapes, your people. 
and then what happens in all of the decisions that you make during during the course of the year. Give me one more little secret. What what should a CEO know about winemaking? What can they learn for their business to run a $50 billion enterprise better from what you've learned from this? And I guess there's a lot of analogies that we could talk about the fields, the grapes, you know. I would tell you, it, it, it happens in, in any wine business, there is a particularly momentous time. And that's the harvest every year. Because a year of work goes into seven to 10 days. The winemaker has to make a call about whether you're going to pick that morning or not pick that morning. You can't pick in the rain, so you have to check the weather. You start early so that you can beat the heat of the sun because you want to get the grapes off the vines, keep them cool, and get them to the press um, as quickly as possible. So my answer is get yourself on the ground at momentous times. So we go to harvest every year that we can. We get up early, work in the fields with the teams, understand, listen for all of the decisions that they're making, go to the press room, eat lunch with all of the crew. It's you, you just feel the spirit of what it means to be in the business. And I think every business has those moments. They're different in different businesses. But I think about that as I'm looking at other CEOs. What, you know, what are their momentous occasions? What are the times when the CEO needs to be on the floor, needs to be on the ground, needs to roll up your sleeves and be part of the team? I think you learn so much. I love that answer, Denise. So relevant. By the way, what is the website if anyone wants to learn more about you? You can go to champagnehospitality.com for all of our hotels, and you can go to coachyourharvest.com for all of our wine businesses. And every individual hotel, the Royal Champagne, Le Barthelemy, they have individual websites, and Le Clerc Brion and Chateau de Comorain in, in Burgundy have, have websites as well, and all of those are .coms. So let's completely shift because you had a major career in Ivy League schools, Dartmouth, Cornell, Harvard. Talk about what you learned there. And then I want you to shift into what made you make this big jump? Because it's an enormous jump and probably you've the life that everyone dreams of now. I'll give you two threads on this. The first is I did spend most of my time in the academic world as a faculty member at Cornell, at Boston University, where I was the dean of the hotel school for a while, and at at Harvard, where I taught part-time in hotel management. So I had the gift of working with young people for my whole career. And what ultimately made me the happiest was watching them learn, grow, move into the field, and, you know, and thrive. So I get to do that today with all of my companies. So that's what gives me passion and joy. I, I, you know, the younger, the hungrier, the better. I, I, I try to never miss an opportunity to have an interaction with an intern that's just joined with us because there's so much energy that comes from that. So that was part of the motivation. I will say while I was teaching... I also did a lot of consulting work. So I think to be a good faculty member in an academic field that's tied to a business like hospitality, you need to be current. 
And I was always out in the field, either consulting or doing work to try to keep myself relevant, keep the lectures current. I tried to never give the same lecture twice, even, even though that, that can be hard. So there was a connection to the industry the whole time. I did grow up in the business and post-college decided to, to do something completely different, but I found myself coming right back around um, to going to grad school in hotel management and it sort of came full circle. So the key thematics are love nurturing young people and the business that I'm running today gets me to do that. And I've always really been connected to it. And, you know, it's one of those times, yeah, big shift and took some guts, but walk the walk. You know, you've been teaching this to all of these people all this time. Let's see what you can do. So in some ways, it was a personal challenge as well. What advice do you have to to women who want to build a great career and build their dream? I think there's a couple places where women underestimate their capabilities. I will give you a couple personal examples of things that I have used that help me. It doesn't have to be the experience that's so logical on a resume that helps you in a job. I was an athlete in college, and I often reference back in my business work, what was it like to have a great coach? What was it like to have a lousy coach? What was it like to have teammates who were truly pulling on the same oar or, you know, moving the field hockey ball, as was the case for me down the field? Well, you know, what worked, what didn't? And I think about that in my career. So first piece to women is you probably have experiences, whether they're athletics, whether it's being a mom and having juggled 10,000 things and having to prioritize and think, or whether it's volunteer work or, you know, there are just so many experiences that you can draw on. So don't limit your choices because you don't think your resume doesn't necessarily stack up with all of the the, the check boxes that you would normally think. So that's w- would be the biggest thing that I would underscore. And take chances. Um, you, you, you probably, you know, I think everyone goes through periods of time where they don't feel like they have all the skill set. You know, part of me says dive in. You, you won't know till you try. And there you have it, Denise. I want to commend you on adding so much value to the youth by bringing joy into people's life. A real pleasure having you on the CEO show. Thank you so much. It was it was a joy to be with you and come visit us either for harvest or come stay at one of our hotels. <laughs>